Today's scripture reading is Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Love for one another. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This is the word of God for the people of God. Welcome to our Reflection on Sunday for Tuesday, September 8th. My name is the Reverend Michael Drew Davis, and I'm going to take a quick swig. My very hot coffee. And we're going to move into our conversation on our, our scripture this last weekend. Now, our scripture this last weekend was proclaiming that love fulfills the law. It's uh, Paul is writing to the church, of Corinth, uh, the church of Rome in Romans 13. He's answering the questions of individuals asking, what do I need to do to be in the presence of God's grace to receive salvation. And Paul lays it out very clearly. It's not the actions of us, but it's the actions of the one that produces the fruit of salvation and fulfills the requirements of the law. Now, during the sermon, I use a narrative that I've used many times but about the relationship of Michael Nesmith, who was a member of the rock band The Monkees, and John Lennon, who was a member of the rock band The Beatles. And Mike Nesmith, I'll, I'll bore you just a second more if you watch the sermon. You've heard this. If you haven't, it's going to become important. Mike Nesmith was going to England. He really wanted to have a conversation with John Lennon. And he writes this letter to him. He has it um, telegraphed over. Hey, I'm coming in. I'd love to spend an hour with you. I'd love to, to say hi. And he wanted to write a salutation that would catch John Lennon's attention. So he his salutation read, God is love, Michael Nesmith. Well, it's documented that Lennon was so uh, captured by that salutation that he didn't just agree to have Mike Nesmith have an hour-long conversation with him, but he agreed to have him stay at the house with him, have him stay in his home and spend more time than, than that. So the, the beauty of it all is the reality that God is love. Paul in this scripture is talking about love being the fulfillment of the law. That everything that they are looking for, everything that they're praying through, the requirements that they're looking for is just the reality of knowing that God's loving actions have taken care of something that we cannot take care of on our own. So today, in, in, this, in this conversation, I don't want to look as much at, at Romans 13 as I do want to look at 1 Corinthians 13. I want to talk about the love passage. I want to spend a few moments in conversation together talking about 
if God is love, if, if God is the, the purified image of what love is, then what is God? We use this scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, a lot, especially at weddings. If you've been to a wedding, if you watched a, a, a fictionalized television wedding that has scripture in it, quite commonly it's going to be 1 Corinthians 13 talking about what love is. The Apostle Paul writing to the church of Corinth, proclaiming what love is. He's still answering the question that it exists in this in this scripture in Romans 13. Everyone's talking about how to fulfill the law, how to fill the requirements of, of salvation. And Paul says, just follow and believe and trust and love. So now Paul's got to explain what love is. And if God is love, Paul is explaining the imagery and the embodiment of God. So today in this, I want to talk about what it means to truly follow God and not try to check off boxes to fulfill the law. I'm going to look and we're going to stop one by one and talk about if we believe that God held this image how would it change the way that we live? And how would it change the way that we interact with others? So beginning in 1 Corinthians 13, 8. No, excuse me. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. And we're changing everywhere where it says love to God. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast, God is not proud. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. God is patient. Patient and kind. God is not envious. He does not boast. I will share with you in many ways in my life, my impatience becomes the places where I fumble the football. Sometimes I want things done so quickly and and, and just stop them out of the way that I forget to go on the journey with the problem to see what the problem is trying to teach me. Sometimes patience is the master instructor, and sometimes when we sit in the places of discomfort looking for what they're trying to teach us, we begin to see new revelations about ourselves. We're called to be patient. If we're called to be in the image of God, we're called to be patient with ourselves and with our own situations because when we learn to do that for ourselves, we begin to practice what Paul is sharing in Romans 13 and what Jesus Christ shares in Matthew 22. There is this call that love is the greatest thing and we are called to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So, if we believe that God is patient, God is kind, God does not envy, God does not boast, God is not proud, we learn not just to be patient with ourselves, but patient with others in our lives. I, I read Facebook, so I know that there is a lot of impatience for others that exist. I, I work in a social career. You know, a church is a social place. 
Church is a place of interactions, and any place where there is interactions, even loving interactions, there is also, at times, impatient interactions. And sometimes we need to inherit the heart of patience, sometimes to forgive people for the place that they're in in the moment, so that we can see the greater overall picture of where they're growing, where they're going to, and maybe there's a reality at the end that's more beneficial for the greater good. You know, sometimes my impatience hinders me from seeing a path, a loving, growing path that's there, that sometimes at the end of it, I don't get what I want, but at the end of it, we see God shining because we're all standing in what we need. Let's move on to... Two five. God does not dishonor others. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God keeps no records of wrongs. See, this is where patience grows. It's the next step of patience. Because patience can produce forgiveness. If I can become patient that something isn't happening at the speed I want it to. If I can become patient and learn the story of a path that's going in a way that I don't like, but maybe when it's all said and done, see the benefits of that path. Patience produces levels of forgiveness. Sometimes I see things going in a path that I don't want them to go because they don't reach my agenda. They don't reach the path that I want them to go into. And sometimes I become the hinderer of grace because I would prefer things going the way I want them to than to be willing to bend like water and to go in a new direction because it's where I need to go to. Forgiveness. Also in that is the reality, and I love this because it really shines at the end of verse 5. God keeps no records of wrongs. There's a reality that exists in grace, and if we truly believe in grace and we truly believe that God forgives, God forgives. Now, we still live within our mistakes, but forgiveness produces opportunities of newness and the grow and the move along. Grace produces opportunities of newness that helps us move towards places of comfort and grace and love that we stop ourselves from trying to go to because we don't feel that we're worthy to be forgiven. And I want you to know, from what I know about Provenient grace, God loves us before we know who God is. Justifying grace, God is reaching out for us to respond. And sanctifying grace, God is walking right next to us. I want you to know, God forgives. It's just sometimes we don't forgive ourselves and it stops us from taking chances. I want you to know that God forgives. Now, moving on from five, let's go to six, because there is a challenge in love. 
there's a challenge in justifying grace. We have to reach out. We there are things that we need to do to participate with love. And 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 verse five really really lays out the participation. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. See, if we believe in a forgiving God and we forgive ourselves, there is a reality that we don't go back and intentionally make those mistakes again. That, that is the challenge of growing. If we live within forgiveness, we should grow from forgiveness and not go back and 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 do the same thing over and over and over again because that that's insincerity in in a forgiving act forgiveness produces the opportunity to go forth and try new things forgiveness produces the opportunity to do what the bishop uh, bishop corcano said to me after i was ordained as a united methodist minister is to go forth with confidence and to serve god Forgiveness means to not go back and make the same mistake over and over and over again, but to grow and learn and to transform and evolve and become a new creation because we want to rejoice with the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the light, says Jesus Christ. The ways that we rejoice with Christ. Now here's the thing, because all this is scary. All of this is worrisome. All of this can become burdensome. And then we get to verse seven, and it's it's another it's another freedom verse. Because if we're trying to live within our forgiveness and not go back over and over and over again, if we're trying to learn to grow, to evolve, to transform in forgiveness, we need to know that we're not alone. And this is a beautiful statement. If we or proclaiming that God is loved, then verse 7, 1 Corinthians 13, 7, God always protects, God always trusts, God always hopes, and God always perseveres. God always protects. Sometimes we, we reach these places of needing to be reminded that we're forgiven because we are living in moments of fears and we feel like that we're alone and we feel like that we're drowning and we feel like that there's no possible way to get by and we forget to look for God. We forget to try to seek out the image of God. And if you remember the children's message this last week, we forget to look for the image of our helpers who are there not just to help the greater world, but to actually help us as individuals. That we're not alone. That we're not lonely travelers on a road. But we are walking side by side with a forgiving, loving God. So God is there protecting us. Now here's the thing, and there's freedom in this next part. God, trust us. God trusts us. We have so many different ways of responding to God's grace through justifying grace, through reaching out and responding to something that God's trying to hand out to us. There are so many ways that God trusts us within our free will to make loving choices that are responses to a trusting, loving God. 
So God trust us that God gave us the opportunity to make our own decisions. That's something I celebrate very deeply. We celebrate a God that created all things, and God could have easily created us to love God, but that would be an insincere love. It's a forced love. And what I love about free will, the freedom of choice, is God loves us enough that God allows us to decide if we love him back or not, if we love God back or not. Sometimes that's scary because we see so many images and that, that goes back to the to not dishonoring others and not being self-seeking that we do unfortunately see so many images of people who use free will for selfish means to care for themselves, to do harmful things to others for their own benefit. We, we see that. But we can't have that taken away because it also produces within us the opportunity for the biggest blessing that we've ever had, the choice, the open-hearted, pure choice to love God. So I love the trusting nature in God to give us the freedom and the rope to decide. Because God always hopes and is always persevering. There is hope in God. God doesn't just produce hope within us that we can have greater futures. But I'm going to tell you, you know, when I grew up in church, I always heard the phrase, do you believe? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? But over time, I've enjoyed the reality of flipping that phrase around and proclaiming, not only do I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior and walk through the freedom that comes from that salvation, but I also walk with the freedom and the joy and uh, just just the the reality that God also believes in me. I, I believe in a God that believes in us and is rooting us on. And is praying for ways for us to persevere through many scary and worrisome moments because of the the final reality. God never fails. Now, that's that's where kind of some of the worries and the and the hiccups come along, doesn't it? That God never fails, and we live in a life that excuse me. We watch so many dear friends be excluded and hurt. We watch so many dear friends. We, we live within a, a reality at times that we suffer and are lonely because dear friends have passed away. We suffer and we lonely because of job loss, because of unique situations that we're, we're scraping and we're trying to figure out how to keep going. We find ourselves in moments that we truly feel that we're the only soldier on the battlefield and we, we don't know what to do. But I want you to know that especially in the moments that we can't see God to remember that God is there. Now I've tried to paint this picture before and I'll try it one more time. One of the realities that I hold in provenient grace is that God exists in our lives even before we know God, even before we see God, even though, even before we have an active connection with God, that God is still real. 
I believe in the blessing of provenient grace in moments of fear and worry. I believe in the provenient grace that God is still there in the darkest moments of our lives, even when we don't see God. And I believe and wholeheartedly trust in this last phrasing, God never fails. It becomes a reality of looking at what God's truly traveling with us through. It becomes with the reality of knowing what God is, is laying out for us. And, and where I don't truly believe in a predestined path in our living because of my feelings of free will, but I do believe that God continues to open doors for us, for us to walk through, to find our potential and our fullness. Even within our mistakes, even in the heartbreaking moments that we don't see God, I still believe God is still present. And God is not failing to produce new opportunities to help us to get to new places of growth, newness, and transformation. I want us to hold on to this today. I really, I kind of wish this was my sermon. Um, I just, I just got so connected to, to this idea that if we proclaim God is love, and the Apostle Paul uses this scripture in 1 Corinthians 13 to explain what love is, then we're explaining what God is. And we have an opportunity every day to proclaim the image of God. Hold on to these things, read back through it, read back through it as your prayer. And uh, thank you for being on this conversation with me. My name is the Reverend Michael Drew Davis. God is love. Amen. We'd like to have the opportunity to get to know you. Please email us at ncumcinfo at gmail.com. And if you've been enjoying our services online, please email us. Please say hello. Again, that's ncumcinfo at gmail.com. And also, if you'd like to give to our church, please go to northcoastumc.org and click on the Give button. Again, that's northcoastumc.org and click on the Give button. Thank you for joining us.